Yeah, it was amazing because, you know, I've talked a lot this season about how I'm just trying to enjoy whatever happens. And in the first half was a real test of that because it was bad and also dull from United. You know, it was just completely limp and lackluster. And Ferguson looked, he looked like he was in a state of shock and fury on the sidelines. I mean, he really, he did look visibly stunned. And, you know, I, I don't think any United fan seeing that starting lineup was particularly stunned that United were deathly poor in that first half. No, 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 that's right. And I have to say, it's a bit of a pattern these days, a feeling of doom and negativity when the team sheet comes out and too often. And, and most of it's associated with midfield, isn't it? And too often we think, oh, no, there's a bit of a soft underbelly in the centre of midfield there. What are we going to do? And, and that, that kind of played out, although, um, you know, some pretty awful mistakes through the centre of defence as well. Let's let's take this a bit at a time. I mean, it, it, first of all, I can't wait till we talk about the second half because that really is one of my... Even though we didn't win the game, I ended up absolutely loving that game. It was amazing to see us tearing at trying to score up the Stretford end and the crowd going absolutely ballistic. I mean, it really was like early 90s football all over again but that, that first half was the epitome of the the worst aspects of 2012 Manchester United I mean Giggs in the centre of midfield well not even really in the centre of midfield in a sort of weird hybrid left wing central midfielder sort of role incredibly ineffective and completely out of the game and a central midfield of Skulls and Carrick which was just completely overrun I mean that partnership's been so effective but we've talked time and time and time again about how the way to get at them is to pressure them and up against, I mean, basically, you just played Dembele on his own in the Spurs midfield and he'd give Carrick and Skulls a run for their money as a two. Yeah, and, and it's the kind of physical nature of Spurs' midfield that really helped to overrun United. So Dembele and Sandro were able to create an awful lot of domination and then Spurs used their ability to break at pace really, really effectively. Obviously, Gareth Bell's an extreme weapon all on his own, but I thought they moved from back to front very, very quickly, Spurs, and it caused United an awful lot of problems. And, and it feels like such a broken record because we talk about it all the time, but the lack of cover in front of the back four caused the central defenders Johnny Evans and Rio Ferdinand a load of problems and, and then there's the issue about where each of them plays so we had Rio dropping deep and they seem to switch sides again those two after last season's experiment and Rio uh, was the deepest of the two which I guess you'd kind of expect given his age and the fact that he's lost a yard of pace or so you know I don't think he's slow by any means uh, but it left him exposed uh, gotta say it really left him exposed and, and Johnny Evans didn't have a good game at all in the first half he was he was all over the place and that didn't help Rio one little bit and I think Rio's taken uh, more of the criticism there but I think that's more to do with the fact that he got isolated and exposed by Bale you know in a, in a really public fashion it's a very interesting thing that switch back to you know to revert to type for Rio to play on the right when actually it was really working last season with Rio on the left and Evans on the right and I, I don't quite understand why Fergie switched that back whether it's because he was expecting Vidic to come back in but he had switched Vidic and Rio so it's a very it's 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 a bit I'm a bit uncertain as to why it's happening I didn't really understand why it happened the other way round why they made the switch in the first place but to switch it back when it was kind of effective and it and it, it just hasn't quite been working so far this season has it well clearly not I mean United have gone behind in six games out of nine so far isn't it 
something like that and, and that's it's that's saying a lot right there's a, a lot of times United are conceding goals we're conceding a lot of cheap goals conceding goals that wouldn't have happened in the past conceding goals that wouldn't have happened if, if there was some protection for the back four and and we'll come on to Cluj in a bit but conceded a goal there because there was absolutely no cover in wide areas at all you know so I, I think you could probably point to about 80 or 90% of the goals United have conceded this season and say you could fix that and that's the frustrating thing because I don't think it's brilliance for the most part that has, has beaten United this season it's causing us loads of problems so two defeats in the six in the, the Premier League that's not a good ratio is it you know extrapolate that out and United is nowhere near winning the league you know you, you assume that it won't carry on you've got to assume you know two good sides have beaten United but there's a lot of tough games to come as well they've got to fix this defence that United can't win the league if we defend like this I think I would also argue that we probably can't win the league if Anders Lindegaard is the the keeper in the league most often. I think it's there's something about it. It's not that he's a bad keeper at all. And and listen, we we have been talking about this every week. But if you look at the Cluj game, okay, they're they're definitely a massively inferior opposition to Tottenham. But De Gea just gives United something else, you know, both as an outlet, but also in terms of his like range of shot stopping. I think specifically the, the third goal. I mean, Lindegaard didn't do too much wrong for the first couple of goals but that third goal in particular uh, Lindegaard kind of parried the ball I and mean, it was very difficult chance that came at him at close range but he he did the thing that we always criticise Joe Hart for doing of, of putting the ball right into the danger zone with his parry which De Gea is so good at not doing that who knows what would have happened in that moment Sure, yeah. Uh, in fact, if you want to be really, really hard, you could say that he didn't get down quick enough to bail shot either, you know? I, I mean, it, it's a harsh criticism because it's, it's hard. It's really hard to say whether the hair would have saved that or not. But, I mean, in terms of the general analysis, yeah, I, I don't think Lindegaard's anywhere near the keeper. But for whatever reason, and we've been over it plenty of times now, Ferguson is determined to give them a load of games. Now, it, it seems that Lindegaard has become the favourite in the league, at least, and, uh, and it looks like he'll probably play at Newcastle. You know, maybe not who knows it's really hard to tell at the moment isn't it I mean I really really truly sincerely hope not and I, I don't like saying that about any United player really but I, I very sincerely hope that it's it's to in goal I think it it just should be it, I, I don't get why it isn't you know I mean also there's that thing that you always have in the back I always have in the back of my mind when I'm talking about Fergie's decision making which is that he knows better than me that there's no question about that he's he's the best football manager ever so if he's doing it it's probably for a reason but the fact that he looked really genuinely stunned by how bad United were in the first half when I think we all saw that coming and there's a lot of talk just building up to half time as United start to make their little five minutes before half time effort that they do when they've not been playing well of you know oh, they're all trying to avoid the hairdryer the hairdryer is definitely coming and it's like well he really needs to use the self hairdryer because it's him that's putting us in that mess in the first place isn't it yeah, I mean, I have to say I felt at the time that Ferguson had to look in the mirror at his own performance there and, and whether he got it quite right in terms of the selection. I mean, you know, Giggs was absolutely nowhere near being influential at Anfield the week before and uh, and had another game and, and Nani's obviously been very much off form recently. Although he had a decent game in the second yeah, half at least, yeah. you know, he, he made some recompense for that. So, you know, I'm not having to go at him for the sake of it, but it didn't quite feel right as a as a selection and, and part of that's to do with the fact that the just aren't the options available and and partly to do with a a certain amount of stubbornness it it appears uh, on Ferguson's part 
to to play uh, some players who are really not performing for United. So yeah, I you know if it's the results business and then United got a very poor result there at home to Tottenham, then you you have to point the finger at Ferguson and say some blame lies with him. I mean he never does accept it. He always seems to blame the players and collectively he doesn't he very rarely singles them out unless it's uh, David de Gea. But yeah, he didn't he didn't say actually I, I got this wrong. But you know he never does. I mean he didn't even single de Gea out for a, you know it didn't influence the the match that the mistake that he was dropped for in the end you know right because United had won and I'm sure he wouldn't have done if United hadn't won but listen let's talk about that second half because it it was absolute throwback stuff talking of throwback Paul Scholes at his incredible influential best I mean uh, I haven't got it broken down by halves but his passing statistics in that game 135 of 148 passes I mean it's getting ridiculous it really is he was just as an absolute metronome Uh, Barry Glendening on uh, Football Weekly said that Scholes, Scholes and Giggs didn't play well in that match and I was like you really need to caveat that because the second half performance from Paul Scholes is one of his great performances of which there are obviously many to to choose from I mean, United obviously changed, right? I don't, I, tactically, there wasn't a huge amount other than Rooney came on and Kegawa played sort of, you know, off the left. And, uh, you know, so the personnel kind of added some extra impetus. But I thought a lot of it was Tottenham. I thought a lot of it was Tottenham's negativity allowed United to play in that way. Specifically allowed Paul Scholes to get the ball and keep passing it, right? Uh, you know, they just completely stood off. They went into their shell. Credit, Of course, credit to United for changing yeah the uh, the way the pattern of the game was going there was more urgency and you know it's not to say that they suddenly wanted it or not but there was just a bit more oomph about them and, and you know so credit to united for that but i think there's a big negative in spurs's column because they after they scored the third goal they just retrenched completely into their own half and, and looked to defend and they did that very well right you have to say they were very successful at doing that as well they did limit united to you know a few a half a dozen sort of shots in that second half and uh, and not loads of, of obvious chances although of course uh, you know off the woodwork a couple of times I mean just a, an incredible passage of play for 10 minutes in that game where we came back to 2-1 they immediately pegged us back to 3-1 with some horrible defending and then but then the crowd the crowd just didn't give up in that match you know it was like the antithesis of the crowd at the Everton game last season the 4-all where the crowd was kind of complacent and and tired seeming but there was there was like an absolute hunger around the ground just endless endless repetition of Ferguson's red and white army which is like beautiful thing to hear after all this time but you know and the players responded absolutely brilliantly because as soon as Tottenham had scored their third we were back with our second and unbelievably Van Persie missed one maybe two guilt edge chances yeah yeah it, it, he's got uh, was it seven in eight appearances for United but he probably should have nine in eight or something yeah he had some good chances against Spurs didn't didn't quite make it but I guess that, that's going to happen and, and you're totally right about the crowd it was best atmosphere at Old Trafford for quite some time it just doesn't happen very often and it's a shame that the Old Trafford crowd is not always behind the team in quite that way but um, whether it's complacency I don't know or definitely a changing nature of the type of people who are at Old Trafford uh, I think that's changed the atmosphere quite considerably over the years And but good to hear good to hear a bit of Fergie's Red and White Army it's, it's, it's not brought out often enough I think hunger is a huge part of it because I, I just think it's that it's that that, that kind of we, we've all been shaken out of our doze a bit by by the fact that City actually did manage to win the league last season. I mean, financial doping or no financial doping, you, that's it's a huge thing uh, that that happened. And, and I, I think you know there's there's a kind of desperation around Old Trafford to get the trophy back, and that does always tend to lead to an improvement in atmosphere. I think a, a word about Kagawa, not a good performance at all from Kagawa. Better a little better in the second half. 
but but generally speaking, I mean, really not in the game and, and received quite a lot of criticism from a uh, few United fans. But, you know, he, he really, he just wasn't involved. You got Carrick and Skulls both attempting, well, in Skulls' case, way over 100 passes and Carrick, you know, just just pipping 100. And, and Kagawa's not, not, you know, he's received the ball 44 times in the game, 35 or 39 passes. There's only only seven forward passes attempted. You know, it's not what you want from him, is it? I mean, he, he did get a goal and he took his goal very well and he was involved more in the second half. And I think the setup in the first half obviously didn't suit him well, but but it, he wasn't able to, to impose himself on that game at all. Yeah, I'm not quite sure that United are using him in the right way at the moment. I mean, positionally, yes, playing just off the striker, it's, it's the right position for him. But but a lot of the passing does go wide, so he he needs it in the right areas in, in order to be really effective. There's a great there's a great piece in uh, this month's Red Issue, whether it's true or not, I don't know. It's, uh, an anecdote from earlier this season uh, where United uh, weren't playing so well and Ferguson apparently is pointing at Kigawa at halftime and telling the players, just pass it, just pass it to Park. All the players are too <laughs> terrified to correct him on which player it really was. So, uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I like the anecdote. But look, seriously, we haven't had the best out of Kagara over the last month or so uh, after a couple of you know standout performances right at the beginning of the season. So uh, there's loads more to come from him. I think United do need to use him the right way. I think it's going to be interesting exactly how that happens with Rooney and, and Percy now fit and what sort of system United end up playing. Because, I mean, take the one against Kluge, for example, example that was extremely narrow and uh, i'm not sure that plays to united's strengths necessarily otherwise uh, if there's going to be two wide players in the team it might well be that kagawa is one of those wide players or perhaps it's rooney but you know either way uh, it's a square peg in a round hole a word about Rooney, absolutely excellent when he came on in the second half. Brilliant to see all those barometers of form, the first touch, the the passing, wonderful, created a goal, just just was really effective and dynamic, looks really fit again. That that little extra rest caused by that injury might have done him the world of good, actually. Yeah, when he loses all that puppy fat, he'll be a great player. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think he, I think he looks, he looks in, in pretty good nick at the moment, doesn't he, Rooney? Or? He looks fine, and, and it was a very good performance from him in that second half, and we, you know, we want more of that. And going on into the the Cluj game, he, he almost replicated. He was so so deep, wasn't he? And it, and that's what I'm saying. They've got to find the right position for Rooney and Van Persie and Kigawa and the, all these great attacking players United have. And you know, there's going to be the temptation for Ferguson to try and cram all of them in there and compromise United's shape as a result. And it'll be interesting to see over the rest of the season whether Fergie can get that balance right or not. It, it will indeed. I mean, the the, the clues game, you, you end up with Kagawa and Rooney basically playing, both of them playing behind Van Persie, and actually it was pretty effective. We, we really dominated that game, and, and if it wasn't for the fact that our back four just looked as, as permeable as Ignatius Rock, ever with an astoundingly terrible piece of defending for their goal. I mean, properly, breathtakingly awful, uh, and Johnny Evans not too much better. Yeah, so, I mean, Ever is out of position because he's very, very narrow, but it's uh, it's that thing I said earlier, he's got no protection in front of him, so the whole team is very, very narrow. He's playing winger, he's he's playing fullback and uh, everything in between, and, and I don't think that quite helped him there, so I'll give him a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of forgiveness, because I don't think the system helped him very much, uh, but he's, he's 10 yards away from his man, so that, that first rule of defending a cross is to stop the cross, isn't it? Second rule of defending a cross is to not ball watch and uh, not make an assumption uh, about where all the players are and where the ball might be going so Johnny Evans runs to the near post and got it completely wrong so not a great 
piece of defending there either all round uh, I'm sure both of them got some criticism for that and Everett's taken an awful lot of criticism from the social media world and he, he generally does these days and it'd be interesting to see whether Ferguson takes the same view I, I suspect not I, as I said uh, a few times this season I think Everett's in it for the long haul and he'll just get a rest now and I don't see him being rested at Newcastle for example I mean, you know, a lot of people talk about Bootner and it's ridiculous because he's played once for United and that was against Wigan and everyone was kind of raving about the performance, but he basically put in the exact performance Patrice Ever would have, but he scored his goal, kind of bounced in off the keeper, whereas Evers would have probably hit the post, you know, because that's just how it all goes but he's just not there's no there's no evidence base to suggest that Butner is a valid replacement for Evera or would be better it's just that people are so fed up with with Evera's kind of mistake proneness and like I'm a big fan of him I, I like his attitude I like how much effort he puts in on the pitch I like his what he adds to our attacking play but you know he, he does a, he does look exposed by the system, but actually, for for Kluge's goal, I I think he made he just made he was just very poor decision making basically, rather than rather than particularly being exposed by the system because he had plenty of time to recover his position. I think. Uh, he probably did, but again, you know, he's pulled out of position there because of the nature of how United played. Yeah, United played very very narrow. Right, and they tuck the both fullbacks in sometimes as well. So it, look, it, it's it's one very bad goal. I thought the response from United was okay. You know, it did enough, didn't they? And get you know, obviously completely dominated the ball. Cluj were very happy to sit on the back of their own you know eighteen yard line and and defend this. And 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 it didn't help United in some circumstances going forward that there was no width at all. I mean, Rooney basically played in midfield. Hernandez seemed a bit lost at times and, and Van Persie was the, the pivot to the attack and it didn't feel like there was a lot of focus. Cleverly tried to join at times. I thought he had a very neat, nice game and, and I th- thought defensively, United did benefit from having Fletcher in there. You know, Oh, and, massively, massively. Yes, so he you know he made some important interceptions. He, he got about the, the kludge midfield. It looked like he was offering a real screen in front of the, the back four, and that, that could be a real bonus for United in the, the months and weeks ahead. I mean, we've talked about how open that midfield is at times, and, and uh, Fletcher's the one player in the squad that could change that. I mean, I was I was thinking a lot about it yesterday because he really does make an enormous difference. It's it's incredibly nice to see him play ninety minutes again, and this time, you know, in in the Champions League. I mean, okay, so Cluj are not a particularly high level of opponent, and he did look absolutely exhausted by the end of the game. I thought he was moving very slowly, but I mean, he was just he was incredibly effective. And a couple of times, one of their players had the ball right, and then like he ran up to him, and then like he took the ball back off him. Imagine that, like one of our midfielders ran up to one of their midfielders and got the ball off him. I know, making a tackle is so old-fashioned, isn't it? You know, well, Fergie the dinosaur. I mean, but it was glorious, and actually they they worked really well as a midfield three. I mean, Anderson was pretty wasteful. That, that that shot seems to have gone to his head a little bit, and there was one moment right at the end of the game, and the game's basically over, this is just before the full-time whistle, where, like, Welbs makes a run and he's about to break free of the, the defence and beat the offside trap, and Anderson just kicks it sort of, like, not even near him, as if he was... I, I really don't know what happened, but Danny Welbeck just looked at Anderson and that moment to say did you I mean is that really what just happened he couldn't he couldn't believe the quality of the distribution or lack thereof there were moments from Anderson in the game but moments you know again a player of now his experience and and the price uh, ought to be having a bigger impact on games like this and, you know he, he sh- should he not be one of United's creative hubs if, if that's if that's his role and and it didn't quite happen he he made some good runs he beat his man a couple of times made some good passes made some bad passes 
had a couple of shots. There's something there, but it's never quite enough. And we'll see. Is he is he going to get any better with the runner games? Can't can't see it. And Ferguson said in midweek that he sees no reason. Uh, given that Scholes and Carrick, this is his quote, not mine, Scholes and Carrick are playing so well that, that, that Anderson should get in the side at the moment. You know, it's quite honest uh, assessment about that. So, you know, probably Anderson won't play at Newcastle. He'll be in and out of the side again. That won't help him. But then again, he's done nothing to deserve a long run in the side. I want to talk about some positives from that game, though, because I don't, I, don't, I don't think it was a particularly negative thing that that game I thought as you say you said Tom Cleverley was quite neat I thought he was excellent I mean let's let's discount the quality of opposition for a second because you know you can only play the team that's in front of you and given the very peculiar decision to play without width against a team that's going to sit very deep Cleverley looked like a few times like he had the key to unlocking the door really and and he just he does I really like the way he makes United tick when he's in the side I really like his kind of creativity and vision and and his his sort of flair for doing the the slightly unexpected you know there's there's often the back heel or the or the slip between the legs or something you know just just he's just got a bit of magic about him I think whilst being very functional and effective as well yeah, I mean he he's good with the non-safe pass, right? Which is nice. He, he's he's a he's a creative player, and he he will you know seek out an option that's not just the one that's ten yards away, and and that's really good. I have to say I'm really not sure what his best position is. I don't think it's number ten, and I know he's played there like once or twice for United and a couple of times for England for the GB side. I'm not sure he's going to be effective enough in that position to to really be a top class number ten. I think his best position probably will be a little bit deeper, and that's where he's played most of the time this season and maybe he can be really effective there and uh, not deep per se but uh, of a two in United's midfield rotating and recycling possession really really quickly and making things happen you know maybe that's his best position he's 23 now so it's it's we still think of him as a youngster because he's only actually played something like 20 games for United but he's not actually that young and the the time in the next two or three seasons he's he's really got to make a mark and uh, start you know having some authority if he really wants to be a top player uh, yeah, sure. I, I think it's great news for United if number 10 isn't his best position as well, because we're overstocked in number 10 and understocked a bit deeper. So if it turns out that actually he's a midfielder, brilliant. That's great news in in terms of the long-term future of the squad. You think Kagawa can play number 10, Nick Powell sort of trying to be a number 10. He's very young and, you know, that this is all ifs, ands and buts kind of thing. But yeah, it's great if Cleverly sort of sees his long-term future as a number 8, whatever one of those is, you know. Uh, in the kind of him and Carrick with with a player ahead of them a kind of Skulls replacement in, in the squad fantastic I mean you, you know Paul Skulls is irreplaceable obviously but yeah it was it was good to see it, that kind of midfield combination of Anderson and Cleverly massively benefit from Darren Fletcher And but you have to say Carrick and Skulls would benefit from Darren Fletcher often as well um, and there'll be get times where, where if, if it is an option to play Fletcher in big games later this season it's just going to be invaluable yeah. it really does make an enormous difference and it's it's one of those things of questions of balance again, isn't it? Because if we play Fletcher in the middle, do you are you dropping one of Carrick and Skulls and therefore lose some creativity, or are you playing Fletcher in addition to and therefore probably one of the wide players goes, or maybe one of the strikers? And, and so it's you know trying to trying to get that good balance if Fletcher is going to play, and and yeah, it still lifts and butts with him because he's not he's not quite at the very top of his fitness and sharpness is he yet I mean that's that's fairly obvious towards the end of that game he was huffing and blowing quite a bit but but really great to see him back and I I think he adds an awful lot to to United's game there 
One thing we ought to talk about the the Cluj game, the goals. Oh, so, brilliant! Fantastic header from Percy <laughs> off his off his shoulder, and then a really really fine finish and a part, lovely pass from Rooney for the winner. Just absolutely, I mean, what a moment of sheer football joy that goal was! I I, I was watching it on on my TiVo box, and just they they did not play enough replays for my taste, so I just watched it about eight times before getting on with the rest of the match because I just an absolutely glorious finish, stunning, and as you say, a beautiful pass from Rooney also worth pointing out uh, some people have been talking about Van Persie's overall contribution being slightly lacking in games but he was in United's half when that move started um, and just in the right place in, on the end of the pass for, for a moment of ORVP magic I think his overall contri- contribution is fine. He's the pivot of the attack, so we wouldn't want him to be wandering quite as much as Rooney does. And look, he's perfectly capable of that. For the first six or so seasons that he was at Arsenal, he, he often played in a wide of a three or he actually as an actual out-and-out winger at times. So he's perfectly capable of playing in other positions. I think if he's going to be the pivot of United's attack, he needs to be in the right areas, and he's getting the goals. You know, It, it will mean that Rooney doesn't score as many goals. If he's, if he's not playing in that position and he's playing very deep, he probably won't get over 30 goals this season he hasn't got a goal yet has he and Van Persie's got seven is it now uh, so but that's fine if it's if it's for the benefit of the team and it suits everybody then great Rooney I thought he had a good game too and I, I think he will be very important to United obviously this season if he stays fit and just the one thing with Rooney when he's playing off he sometimes does go very very deep you know and and uh, it just made midfield quite crowded and I kind of understand why he does it because there were 10 men sat on the edge of the Cluj box and he, he's trying to find space and he's tr- you know, trying to influence the game and and, and so you know you just got to get the right balance there because he, he could end up with United playing a lot of players in a very central area which is what happened at times against Cluj. Yeah absolutely. Um, a word about Rafael da Silva as well who I thought had a really good game against Cluj and he's in the middle of his best run of form for United I would say it seems like a long time since we've been talking about da Silva doing something stupid to get sent off or conceding a goal. And he's staying fit yeah so look, if he stays fit and plays well which he is doing you know we can expect a couple of mistakes from him but he's going to mature faster if he plays a lot of games I, I really hope he plays over 40 games this season I think that'll be his breakthrough season and, and we can look forward to having a very fine fullback on his hands just, fingers crossed with him though because you know he could look wrong at something and break his leg so it's, it's, he's, he has been made of glass maybe they found the, the key to his fitness maybe maybe, maybe Fabio's just taking all the bad luck with him to keep him well, up maybe Fabio was like a bad influence behind the scenes you know getting him to go out to McDonald's with Anderson and stuff late at night and that's what that's why he kept getting himself injured but uh, and, and Fabio safely under the wing of Mark Hughes which to me got to be one of the scariest places in world football and um, well he's under the wing of the QPR physio at the moment isn't he but yeah. he is of course but, uh, we're, we're, uh, best of luck to Fabio but uh, right now his his brother is, is doing a fine job for United yeah and, and it's you know United fans have to have patience with De Silva because he's learning a very difficult position which is being a fullback and he's learning it at one of the most difficult clubs in the world to be a fullback at it's, it's a hard job being a Man United fullback no question about that and and uh, it's a very demanding public as well, and and criticism of him is very harsh. He's he's still only twenty one. Yeah, right. So yeah, absolutely, he's still a young guy. I know he's played a lot of games for United, but he's he's got lots to learn. I, I think we've got a good player on our hands there. It seems to me that it might be that time in the show where we take a few questions from the listeners. Um, there's, there's There's been a variety of stuff, and quite a lot of stuff, about Fergie. Um, a question from Oye Opaneye asking, 
whether we're in the position that we're in because of Fergie or in spite of Fergie, kind of overall really harsh criticism of Sir Alex always sits weird with me because of his track record. But on an individual match-by-match basis, he does seem to make extremely eccentric decisions sometimes. And then, I I mean, I, I find his handling of the media extremely frustrating although he was incredibly effective at changing the story after the Tottenham game the story became about you know oh foreign players diving he gave some quote about that and that was in all the papers and there was hardly any in-depth analysis of how much of a mistake Ferguson had made in that first half yeah, I, I thought it was basically offensive. It goes alongside the typical Germans, and uh, whenever an Italian tells me it's pasta, I look under the sauce. You know, it's it, look, it's just patently not true. And and you want to talk about a couple of the worst divers in the country? You can talk about Ashley Young and Danny Welbeck. So um, let's let's chuck that one out. It's complete nonsense from Fergie there, but but a nice smokescreen. You know, it's a complete diversion from what was a, a pretty serious loss. Some odd stuff with Fergie in the media. <laughs> so recently, how tech was he when asked about the Ryder Cup <laughs> he did not want to talk about the subject of golf very, very odd because he's waxed lyrical about golf before when talking on behalf of one of his sponsors not that I'm saying those two things are linked of course you know wouldn't dare say it back to the question uh, I think United have overperformed in the last two seasons uh, because Ferguson has uh, is able to do that you know given the resources that have been there we've got more attacking resources now the squad is better than it was last season you hope that means a better result as as a result problem is that there are still some big holes and that's going to cause United a problem Ferguson does make some eccentric decisions he loves a bit of rotation he wasn't called Tinkerbell for nothing called that for from the 80s onwards so he, he likes to change we know that and and often it's for very good reason because he spreads the workload out sometimes it's really bizarre and really hard to fathom i mean how confident are you in his abilities now right this season i don't know he doesn't seem to have gone mad just no. yet. Uh, like like clearly happened to brian clough he, he lost it he was obviously in the final stages of dementia when he, he got forest relegated but you know it, Ferguson seems to be all there. He, I don't think his decision making has changed particularly. You know, he's he's stubborn about some things. He's he's angry about some things. He clearly has a power over players to motivate them. Uh, he gets most things right. He gets some things wrong. You know, and on balance, he gets mo- many, many, mo- many more things right than he gets wrong, and that's why he's been so successful over the years. Yeah, and and I think that's basically where I come down on it, which is that you know there is. The kind of the, the absolute blind faith in him that, that any criticism of any decision he ever makes is a travesty or heresy is very frustrating. But equally, the kind of the idea that that he's dis, that he doesn't deserve any faith from a kind of footballing standpoint seems ridiculous to me because he's clearly earned it time and time again in the face of massive criticism and massive doubt. So you know, fundamentally, I. I Whilst I whilst I don't understand what he's doing at the moment, I kind of assume he knows what he's doing because he's the best football manager ever. On, on one of the subjects that, that I keep coming back to, this goalkeeping thing, I wondered whether there's any kind of sports science-y reason that I don't understand that De Gea shouldn't play too many games just yet. I, I don't know whether there is or not, but, you know, he, he is a very young man and uh, being a goalkeeper is a very kind of specifically physically taxing thing to do. Um, so I did wonder, I just was thinking about that. You know, like this this thing where Arsene Wenger kept bringing Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain off after 65 minutes because that's what you're sort of supposed to do statistically to avoid injuries and stuff. I wondered whether it was something to do with that kind of thing. I doubt it. I mean, he's played plenty of games for Atletico. Yeah. And we've had plenty of young players before that played lots and lots of games as well. You know, Rooney, 
for example so and and in much more physically demanding positions than goalkeeper okay as i say it wasn't it wasn't like a conclusion sports scientists write in and tell yeah, us yeah please do on to another question dean o'sullivan who wrote us an extremely nice review on itunes so thank you for that dean asked the question who is the best co-commentator or pundit and and ed i think we have to say this is in a field in which gary neville is ineligible for the title because i can't see either of us picking a, a different co-commentator pundit to be better than gary neville well it's gary neville isn't it yeah so so why is he ineligible just 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 because he's obviously the best I, i'm interested in whether there is another good co-commentator in the game you gotta love a bit of roy Keane and his scowl yeah you'd be frightened wouldn't you He's not co-com, but he does a lot of punditry. He does indeed. I've always liked Martin O'Neill. Yeah, Martin O'Neill's a brilliant co-com. As a, as a, as a pundit, yeah. I think he's an excellent pundit, yeah. Most of the co-commentators I hate with a passion. So any time Loro gets a game, he's awful. Niall Quinn, forget it. Terrible, 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 terrible. Hate Alan Smith. Terrible again. Beglin. God, just don't get me on. No, Beglin. oh, but I've forgotten all about him. Andy Townsend. He's he's not he's not in the running. No, <laughs> just he, he just commentates in cliches and banalities. Pat Nevin's a very fine pundit and co-commentator, and apparently a pretty decent indie DJ too. I like him actually. Yeah, he was he was fine on on Channel Five on Thursday nights. Uh, unfortunately, he had to cope with Stan Collymore at the same time. Alan Smith, you are no word Smith. I would like to hear less of this and more of other things there you go that's my long-awaited alan smith poem the sequel to niall quinn i I didn't really put very much time into that as you it's it's a difficult second poem that one (laughs) exactly it's so difficult to to pick good co-commentators i think a it's quite difficult to be a good co-commentator just if you look at the history of english television football coverage there have not been many great second chairs i quite like david pleat as a co-commentator I, I i like the way he says good evening everybody at the beginning of all his commentaries he doesn't have a goalgasm though does he, he? doesn't david pleat no, Nev's the standard bearer now he's even if you're a scouser and you hate him because of who he is you've got to appreciate the the quality of the analysis and and the fact that you, you can actually learn something from gary neville you know and and that's very rare amongst most pundits I mean, I have to say that, that a lot of the praise for Gary Neville is about his punditry rather than his co-commentating. And the fact that he gets an hour to talk about to talk about stuff on Monday Night Football does make a big difference. But there's, there isn't another person talking about football for a living who you'd want to listen to for an hour. You know, he's the he's just the, the best there's ever been. And, and I've never watched him break down a game or talk about an analysis without learning something, as you say. And, and that's, that's really unusual. And it's kind of sad that it's so unusual they should ship a few of the some of the pundits off to guantanamo they get confessions pretty quickly they should ship terry venables off there and just let him talk until he actually finishes a sentence before starting the next one i think maybe his brain's running quicker than his mouth there's something weird going on where he never actually finishes the point he was trying to make before starting another one he's just got a lot to say it's that christmas tree formation but but in conversation form you know it's it's very flowing there's 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 a lot to it uh let's move on there's quite enough of this talking of uh, contributions from the listeners we had a competition last week to win a delectable manchester united scarf signed by a series of manchester united legends and also some people that used to play for manchester united and the winner of this unquestionably my favorite uh, answer that that came into the question what would you ask ashley grimes if you could ask him anything and neil brennan which is uh, at NRD Brennan says I would ask Ashley Grimes if he really knew my dad Ray who said for years that he grew up with Grimes and was a far better player than him uh, so there you go that scarf is going to wing its way to you if you send me a DM on the old Twitter I say 
So, United have a game at the weekend, and it's, it's going to be a tough one away to Newcastle. See Spanks there last season, 3-0. A pretty torrid match, that one, uh, particularly van der Lindegaard, and, uh, but for the whole team as well. But Newcastle not in very good form at the moment. Tenth in the Premier League, haven't won a game for quite a while. And uh, Well, uh, I suppose they beat Norwich, but a succession of draws uh, in recent games and don't feel like they've really hit top form no absolutely i mean it's you know i I think i think it's going to be difficult for them but then also i can't help thinking it's going to be very difficult for united you you think that they they're a classic sort of game raising outfit aren't they uh, yes, and especially at home. Yeah, and you know they have a fine crowd there who who really get behind the side. Uh, the couple of players in in Bar and Cisse have been blowing hot and cold, haven't they? Uh, but a couple of fine strikers. They've definitely got the the material to cause United damage. Uh, they've got some good players in midfield. Tiote's fit again now, I believe, and Kabay is as you know obviously a mainstay of Newcastle midfield and, and France now. So they they've got the tools to cause United some real problems. They just haven't been playing very well at the moment and that plays in United's favour. United, there's got to be a reaction from Tottenham, uh, obviously, and it'd be interesting to see what kind of formation Fergie plays because, I mean, we got to weigh up a, the, the jumble of mess that was the first half against Tottenham against the, the very fine response in the second half and, and the weird formation, frankly, that was performed was deployed against Cluj with such a narrow, uh, narrow scope to it. I can't imagine that will happen again. Very interesting that Nani was selected for the game against Tottenham, not just because of his poor form, but also because apparently he's been punching youth teamers. Yeah, you know what? I'd read something about this before. I don't, I don't think this happened recently. Oh, really? Ah, so it might be an, uh, an older story. Yeah, that, that was my feeling on it. There wasn't very much detail in this report. It's obviously not serious enough to have excluded him, uh, is it? I, I would think some of his performance were serious enough to have excluded him. But yeah, no, he's picked up. Of course, United don't have very many options in wide areas right at the moment with that Ashley Young injured and uh, Valencia also out. So Nani's the, really the only winger left at the club. Uh, obviously, Rooney and Kigawa and Giggs will, will all come into contention if, if Ferguson does decide to play too wide. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's very difficult to say what the selection is going to be. I mean, I guess you think Lindegaard will play. Yeah, I suspect so. I think the back four picks itself, really. I think Lindegaard and then it's it's, it's Ever Ferdinand, Evans and Raphael. And, and the, the big decisions are in, in midfield areas. I'm sure that Rooney and Van Persie will both play. So does that mean Kigawa's on bench again? Do they push Kigawa wide and uh, play Nani on the right? Uh, does Welbeck come into the contention on the left? And is it going to be Scholes and Carrick in the centre again? Does Fletcher, has Fletcher played his way into the side? Uh, probably not, you know, he probably can't play another game now. Uh, so probably Scholes and Carrick will start. So there's a few permutations there, but, you know, I suspect it'll be around about that. I mean, so you think it's going to be a sort of four four two ish sort of thing? Yeah, 4-2 holding, you know, Scholes and Carrick and, and the three attacking players supporting Van Persie. I don't know, I would really like to see someone else in there, especially God, last season was just absolutely horrendous, wasn't it? The game at St. James's Park, we got completely battered in midfield. And it, it could happen again, it's not impossible. I mean, you, you say Bar and Cissé haven't been firing, but they, they, as you say, we, you said they were intermittently firing, and, and that's the case. But, you know, as I said earlier, Newcastle just love to raise their game at St. James's Park against us, and, and it is a real worry that it's going to happen again. I mean, this is just a moment to celebrate the fact 
fact that the last game we played them at St. James's Park, whilst it was horrendous on a footballing level, in terms of football popular culture, it was a glorious moment because that was the pre-match interview when Demba Bar revealed his deep abiding love for strawberry syrup and that was a thing to behold. Yeah, quite bizarre. Yeah, I remember that interview. It was really quite odd. But I think it kind of cemented Bar's place in the footballing, you know, kind of a collective affection, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and well-deserved too. He was asked, is it good for you? And he said, I think so. <laughs> Just like never contemplated the idea that this kind of sugary syrup might not be good for his peak fitness. Anyway, I hope the old syrup muncher doesn't do too well against us. He was obviously excellent against us in that game. And I hope we might managed to nullify their attacking threat. I hope that our defence looks more solid. I hope that De Gea plays behind that defence uh, and I hope that Van Persie continues this run of scoring goal after goal after goal because it's a glorious thing. Yeah, and, and he's staying fit as well. One other point to mention about this game, of course, Newcastle playing Europa League against Bordeaux on the Thursday night and United played on the Tuesday night, so that helps. You know, extra 48 hours, and, uh, OK, so United flew a very long way uh, to Transylvania to play that game and Newcastle played at home. But it still makes a difference, I think, that 48-hour turnaround from the, the Thursday to the Sunday is pretty tough. Very good point. And then it's international break, so uh, we won't be back with another one of these next week. I'm afraid the season is once again being broken up just as it starts to get exciting, and we all settle into the momentum of it. So, uh, rank cast two weeks today. In the meantime, if you want to get hold of us, you can get Ed at United Rant. You can get me at UTD Rantcast. You can get both of us by going onto the Facebook page and making comments or liking the Rankcast story and also you can head to unitedrant.co.uk leave a comment on the show page you can leave a review on iTunes if you want to go to unitedrant.co.uk slash donate and give us some money you can do that and um, we will spend it on stuff for the show and otherwise I guess all that's left for us to do is to make our world famous terrible predictions for the game against Newcastle yeah I think this is going to be a tough one for United even if Newcastle haven't played well recently so I'm going to say one all uh, I think we're going to lose again um, I'm sorry to say a very rare prediction of a loss but I, I think we're going to lose 1-2 and then I think we're going to come back from the international break and, and kickstart our season and I think at some point we're really going to kick into top gear I do still think it's coming I'd like to see it and I, I'm not expecting it this week but you know you never know I'm off to Brazil off to do a bit of scouting for, for you know a few young kids we can export to United well not quite but uh, if you're in Brazil and you're a Rankcast fan I'll be somewhere around Ipanema Beach tall and and young and lovely Ed is going to Ipanema and then he's going round the Da Silva's house for tea very good well, I'll see you after that alright back in two weeks time looking forward to it have a great break and let's hope we're celebrating a United win